We are in the second week of our sermon series in the book of Jonah, second week of it, and I just wanted to review a couple of principles. One is we read the Bible in its literary context. We read it according to its genre. And then number two, we read it through the lens of Christ. And so I've given those two broad principles in terms of how we read the Bible. But what I wanted to do is kind of like the opening credits to the sermon is also mention that because those are two very broad principles, the best way to read the Bible, and really I think the only way to read the Bible, is in the context of community. Okay, read the Bible in the context of community, meaning like don't just read the Bible alone. I think it's fantastic to read the Bible by yourself, but when it comes to interpreting what the scripture says, to understanding its literary context, I believe what God designed us for is to be able to read it together with the people of God. And so what I wanted to do is I just wanted to give credit for a couple people that I've been reading the Bible with. And some of, uh, one of them doesn't know that, but uh, his stuff is out there. Um, his name is Tim Mackey. And some of you are pretty familiar with him through the Bible Project. And I've really appreciated listening to his sermon series on the, go- the book of Jonah. I was going to say the gospel of Jonah, the book of Jonah. Um, and he's famous for his Bible Project videos. And then there's two other people I want to thank or, or give credit to. Um, and the, the second is Fred Gillum. Some of you know Fred Gillum. He was a part of our church in the beginning. Um, and I have a weekly sermon debrief and planning uh, process that I go through. And Fred is part of that process. And he loves this book. And we've been talking about this book. And he's preached here at Quicksilver as well. Um, And the last person I want to thank and give credit to is Austin Jordan, um, our liturgy and worship leader. He came up with the outline for the sermon series, loves this book. Um, We'll be preaching on chapter two next week. Um, And then Grant, one of our elder candidates, is going to be preaching on the last chapter of Jonah, um, I think, at the end of this month. Okay, so we have, and that's all, Jonah's also his favorite book. So that's actually kind of the reason I picked this book is because two-thirds of our elder candidates love the book of Jonah. And so... Um, I just want to thank these guys for their contribution in terms of thinking about it um, as we dive in. And so I want to share the, the kind of the theme or motif about this sermon today is this idea of sleepwalking or, or, or not being fully awake or aware. Um, and my wife and I have lived in our house for almost 20 years. And we're about a, about a mile. And if you live north of our house, which almost all of you do, um, I take 87 north about 10 times a week. And so we're about a mile and a half from there. And I'm so used to driving down Branham and then turning right on Narvaez and going through this windy section and then turning left to get on the freeway that there are times when I'm driving that I get on the freeway and I don't even realize like how I got there. I'm just suddenly on 87 going north. Um, And then there's also times when I'm going um, headed back towards our house and I'm 87 south. And even though there are different ways to get back to our house or different things that I have to do, I always end up turning towards our house. And then I have to like catch myself. People, my, my kids have to tell me, we're not going home. We're going somewhere else. And because I, I was just on, I was on autopilot to be able to go, could go back. Have you guys ever had that experience where you just come to your senses and you ask yourself, what just happened in the last five minutes? Cause you completely lost track of time. And it doesn't even have to happen while you're driving. I know one of the things that uh, as I'm on my phone, I'll be scrolling on my phone and uh, it drives my wife crazy. I'll be scrolling on my phone. I do this when I come home. I'll just sit in the car and scroll through my phone. I'm on Instagram. Um, And then all of a sudden the Instagram timer goes off. I have like a timer set on mine. Um, And I'll be like, what was I just looking at? What just happened? And I'll have no awareness what I was even looking at for the last five, 10, 15 minutes. Have you ever had that experience as well? 
So if you have, I think what the book of Jonah is describing is a universal experience that we all have where you can be fully conscious, but not, but not spiritually awake. And so we're going to be reading from the book of Jonah in chapter one, and I'm going to reread the verses that I read last week. I'm going to read verses one through 16. So I should have it up there. You can also follow with me in your Bibles. I'm going to be reading from the English standard version, English standard version. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, which is the opposite direction from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That's the reading of God's word today. How many of you got a chance to read or listen to the entire book of Jonah this week? Anybody got get to do that? Okay, so I know someone um, did it by audio, and I think it was like seven minutes. And so it's actually, it really doesn't take very long, but it is so dense and it is so concentrated. And you notice, especially even just I was reading it out loud right now, because when I've been reading it, I've been reading it quietly. There's a lot of hurling going on. Everything's being hurled. People are being hurled. Storms are being hurled. 
cargo is being hurled. There's all kinds of hurling going happening. And so that's the first thing. There's something different when you read something out loud. So I just encourage you guys, if you can, if you can have an audio Bible to be able to listen to out loud, because you'll notice things. I just noticed that right now. I'm like, wow, there's so much hurling happening. Um, also this word tempestuous, right? This word tempestuous. That's not a word I use a lot, but it's this idea of like turmoil and, and, and yeah, stuff happening, right? That's, that's tempestuous. Um, last week, what I said was important to characterize Jonah as satire, that this book is different from many other books. And when a book is super over the top, as Jonah is, you have to ask yourself a question. Is this text making fun of something? Because everything happening in this book is absurd. Like it's crazy. It's, it's, it's whack, as they say. Um, and so which one thing you'll notice is that satire is always derivative. And so when you first have that beginning, when it says, and the word of the Lord came, you're supposed to expect it's going to be prophecy. It's a prophet. And then when Jonah runs away, you, you've got to be thinking, wait a minute, this is this Buck's convention. So anytime you have satire, it's always exists in an existing genre. It always makes fun of an ex- existing genre. For example, I, I mentioned the Babylon Bee. It's meant to be a news site, right? If you think it's a news site, but it's actually a satire. So it's always within an existing genre. And you'll notice, even in the very beginning, when it says that Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord, you're getting echoes of of stuff you've seen in the past. For example, echoes of Cain in Genesis, where he flees from the presence of the Lord. So it's not a good thing what Jonah is doing. The first instinct you need to have, it is not good what, what Jonah is doing. And so our quote hero, Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. We know he goes down to Tarshish, okay? And what he's doing, or he's going down to Joppa, and in order to sail, like you have um, Tarshish over here, he's going in that direction, and the Nineveh's over here. So he's going in the exact opposite direction from where he's supposed to. And then um, it says in verse four that there's this great wind, a mighty storm, and it says it threatens to break up the ship. Now, I, I do not do a lot of sailing, but my family and I went on a whale watching cruise um, in the past. And on this whale-watching cruise, there were some choppy waters. I know, I, I know every member of my family remembers this. There were some choppy waters. And I want to say it was like the waves were like four to five feet high. Okay. That's actually not very high. Okay. Four to five feet high swells are not very high. But I, I want to tell you that I would say half the people on the ship threw up. And I threw up multiple times. I think I threw up like four or five times on that. Um, and I, I don't want to say I thought the ship was going to break apart, but it was a very unpleasant experience for me. Okay. It was not even a storm. And so now you, you, you look at this in verse four, it says, there's a great wind, a mighty storm that threatens to break the ship apart. So you've got to imagine the wood on the ship creaking and about to come apart. It was, it was serious and the men's lives were in danger. And so I also want you to notice that the, that sailing is kind of a rough, dangerous profession and it's male dominated. And it's also where the term curse like a sailor originates. Okay. Curse like a sailor, because it's not like the most religiously sensitive group, but you'll notice that as you read through this section, if you go back to uh, verse four, after the wind comes, then you see in verse five, it says, then the mariners, then the sailors were afraid. So these guys are terrified. They're terrified. And they actually do three different things that I think are very important. The first thing that they do is that they cry out each to his own God. And like I said, sailors are not known for being the most religiously sensitive people, though I could imagine if you're in a storm, you might become religiously sensitive really quickly. And that's exactly what happens. These sailors are not, uh, they're not uh, God-fearers. They do not worship the God of Israel. And we can tell because it says 
each cried out to his God, to his God. And so what, they're what we call pagans. Sailors are what we call pagans, meaning they live, this is the ancient Near East, and they live in a world that's polytheistic. There's many gods, and each person and each kind of people have their own God. And so the sailors are each praying to their, to their own God. That's exactly what they're doing. And that, 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 I hope that's what we would do in a crisis situation. Cry out to our God. And each of them cry out to their own God. But that's not all they do. That's not all they do. In the later part of the verse, it says, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So when you're in a storm, there's not, not that much you can do. The first thing you can do is pray, and that's what the sailors do. And the second thing you can do is you can find a way to make the ship more stable. And the way they're making the ship more stable is to lighten it. But what this means is they are letting go of their economic livelihood to do so. Right, because they've been tasked with carrying cargo. This is commerce, right? And so by throwing cargo overboard, they're essentially saying, this, uh, this cargo, whatever we're being paid for it, it's not worth the price of our lives. We're willing to trade this cargo and whatever money we're gonna be able to make from it, we're willing to trade it in order to have our, our lives. And I think, it's a good, I think it's a good choice. I think they're, make, they're, they're thinking sensically. They're make, it's making sense how they think. And then what we're gonna see is the captain goes down and finds Jonah, but you'll notice another but. And again, whenever you see a butt in the scripture, you've got to stop and stare. But Jonah, but Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship. So the, the text is changing direction for us. It's changing direction. And we need to be aware of this direction change. And Jonah has gone down. And this theme of going down is being reinforced. And it's going to be further reinforced in the next chapter. He goes down into the inner part of the ship. He lays down and he's fast asleep, which is absurd, which is completely crazy that he can possibly sleep. I, I, I tried sleeping on the uh, whale watching cruise. There was, no, there was no way I was going to be able to fall asleep. And that, again, that wasn't even a storm. And so it is this absurd thing that Jonah does where he's able to fall asleep. And again, now you have this sleeping guy in the middle of the ship and the captain, I mean, as conceivably, he's been praying. He's also been overseeing the cargo being thrown overboard. And he's like, well, what else can I do? Is there anything else I can do? And he's looking around the ship and he finds Jonah fast asleep. And he says, what do you mean, you sleeper? What do you mean, you sleeper? And the way that you could translate that in Hebrew kind of has all these ways of, of thinking about or being able to translate different words. The way that you can think about that is, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? What do you mean, you sleeper? What, do you, what, what is happening right now? And then he's very specific. Arise, like wake up, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, all the dialogue that's happened in this book so far is from other people, right? This is now the first person that's speaking in this book and it's talking. It's this uh, pagan sailor, this pagan captain telling Jonah to pray. Okay, the pagan captain is telling Jonah, the prophet who's called to preach the word of God, he's telling him to pray. And this is the richest irony here that someone who doesn't know God is telling someone who knows God to pray to his God. But that's exactly the hypocrisy that Jonah is meant to highlight for us is that he is asleep. Now, if we keep going into verse seven, <clears throat> it says, they, they have this process. So uh, it doesn't, it's not clear actually what Jonah does after that. He doesn't, it doesn't tell us whether he actually woke up. I, I suspect, I don't know this, but I suspect that he just went back to sleep. 
okay? He went back to sleep. And then they had this process of casting lots. And casting lots is kind of this ancient version of like rock, paper, scissors, plus like divination, where you can label like different rocks, you throw them in the air. Um, and the, I guess each rock is either labeled with a person or has some kind of symbol that points to someone. It's kind of like, I don't know, spitting the bottle. Some of these games, I've never played that game. Um, but some of these games where you're trying, to, you're trying to pick a person, right? It's a random RNG, is that what it's called? Random number generator of picking a person. Thank you, Chris Lamb, for that. Yeah. Thank you, Chris Lamb. Um, it's a random number generator to, to, term, to determine one person. And so they do that because they're wondering, there must be something spiritual happening. How do we figure that out? And so they do. They cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah. And then they ask him this question. Actually, they interrogate him. They say, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? They're asking him every possible question. And I think the best way to think about that question is who are you? Who are you? Okay, who are you? And so what I want to do is I just want to take a, a step back and think about the consequences of being asleep. Like what is God trying to teach us through Jonah? Now, what I mentioned before is when you read something in its literary context, you need to recognize that there's a couple different audiences when we're reading the Bible. There's at least two. The first audience is the original intended audience by the human author. And the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, was written to Israel. So we've got to recognize, hey, you know what? This is probably, this is intended for the nation of Israel. But there's a second audience as well. And that's and the second author, and that second author is the Holy Spirit working through the human author. And then the second audience is, is us, is us as Christians. So the first question then is, what is God trying to say about Israel? What is God intending to say about Israel? Well, what we know about is, the history of Israel is that God gave a call to Abraham, a patriarch in the faith, and told Abraham that you are going to be a blessing and you will be a blessing throughout all nations. You're going to be a light to every nation, not just to the cho I'm going to make you a nation. Abraham's going to become a nation and that nation will bless all nations. And so what we've got to notice here is that Jonah is supposed to bless anyone he's around. And in fact, that's actually his commission. His commission is to preach to Nineveh and to bless them so that they would uh, not be judged, so that they would escape judgment and be delivered from wrath. Okay. And so the first thing you're going to notice here is that this idea of sleep is a metaphor for a bunch of different things, right? It's, it's kind of a metaphor for not fulfilling the purpose that God has intended for you, but it's also this metaphor for this idea of not being aware of the people around you. Okay. Where you're not able to focus on what's happening, even in the people that are adjacent to you. And so the question I asked earlier about whenever you experienced a moment where you've just kind of blanked out, where you didn't realize what happened. I want us to think about it at a broader level, okay? To think about it in terms of, because Israel was commissioned to, to do this work of preaching to other nations, of being an example to other nations. But what God is showing Jonah is that Jonah doesn't get it. He's kind of the opposite of a religious person. The people that are most religious in this section are the sailors, and so the way I would think about our world, the way that it's designed is that our actions and the lack of actions of those around us, it affects us. 
It has consequences. And the consequence of Jonah not responding, okay? The consequence of Jonah not responding to the call is that these sailors are going to perish. And Jonah does not care. He does not care at all. And one of the things that I've noticed um, in just being a believer and then volunteering at um, my wife and I and, and, and many of you um, were volunteer at PATH, which is a permanent supportive housing organization. And in our volunteering there, you know, we notice people who are formerly homeless, okay? People who are form formerly homeless. And one thing I've noticed among those people is that these generations of sin, these consequences of the sins of the parents passing down to the children and to the children's children. And in fact, there's one family there where the, uh, the mom lives with her son who's also, the mom is homeless and the son is homeless. Then I don't know if they have kids, but there's just this chain of homelessness that's going down and mental health issues. And it's painful to be able to see these different consequences. And so um, what I want to ask us today is to think about what Jonah is teaching us in terms of lack of awareness. And I just need to take a napkin real quick because I'm sweating. And I think one example of a lack of awareness for myself, if you were to think about different ways in which lack of awareness shows up, for me, I think it's going to show up differently in every person's life. But the way that it shows up in my life is running from one state of panic to another. Okay, Running from one state of panic to another. Um, there's, there's an idiom called rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Okay, Rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. And I think a lot of times the, the experience that I have in my life is just running from one crisis to another, not being fully aware of the bigger picture and that what I'm doing may not make a difference. So I'd ask you guys to reflect on today. There's going to be a couple questions. And actually the sharing question that I want to ask right now, the sharing question that I want you to think about is what's a wake up question that God may be asking you? Okay. The sharing prompt for today is what is a wake up question? question that God may be asking you. Because as we go through this section, what, I, what you notice is Jonah is constantly being asked questions. Jonah is constantly being asked questions. And so let me, let me show you what he says then in verse nine. This is what he says in response to all these questions about who are you? What's your job of what people are you? Verse nine says, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And I think that's just rich, right? It's just, he says this phrase, it's almost a throwaway phrase, and he's saying it because that's what you say, but it's like, really? You fear the Lord so much so that you ran away when he commissioned you, so much so that you went to sleep during a storm? And this hop, again, this hop hypocrisy is meant to be overwhelming because everyone notices except Jonah. And we're meant to recognize this and laugh at him and realize he's talking about us. So the sailors are even more terrified now because they know exactly what's happening, right? They understand exactly what's happening here and they're stunned by it because they're, they don't want to perish, right? But you'll notice that they ask Jonah one more question, okay? They ask him one more question. And now Jonah is the subject matter expert on gods, right? Because they ask him this question, even though he's totally unqualified, they ask him, what do we do? And so now let's read again back in, ver in verse 12. He says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. 
I know, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And so you'll notice like, no matter what Jonah does, he realizes he's the reason why this enormous storm has come. Okay, he's the reason why. And so he so doesn't care about reaching the Ninevites that he's willing to die. He's willing to die and be thrown into the sea than than do what God has told him to do. That's how much refusal he has. And the sailors recognize this. And it says in verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but it says they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. So they don't even do what Jonah asks him to do. Okay. Because they realize, you know what? If we throw this guy overboard, we're going to be punished even more. Okay. They're going to be punished even more. So they called out to God and this is the, the most clarifying prayer that you can have. This is an honest prayer and it's an earnest one and it's begging for their lives. In verse 14, it says, therefore they called out to the Lord. Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. Oh Lord, for you, oh Lord, have done it as it pleased you. And so they're saying, hey, you know what? We want to believe in this God. We recognize that it's because of Jonah that we are facing the storm, but don't put his blood on us. Okay, they're asking God, would you please not put this blood on, our, on us? And that's exactly what they do. They hurl him into the sea. The sea calms down and they offer, and then it says later, they offer a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so what I want you to notice is you can curse like a sailor, but you can also repent like a sailor. Okay, you can repent like a sailor. And one of the messages that this book is telling us is that this book aimed at Israel is meant to show Israel that there are people who Israel can look down upon, but they're actually closer to God than Israel is. And that we need to recognize as the secondary audience that there are people different from us that are closer to faith than we think. And so one of, the, one of the situations where I've realized that is last year, Muhammad and I would go on campus and share the gospel with different people. And in one of those conversations, especially doing um, open mic evangelism, not open mic, um, open air evangelism, where we just get a speaker on the corner of 4th and San Carlos and just broadcast and talk about the gospel. There was a Muslim man named Sohaib who came and talked to us. Or, and I got in a conversation with him. And in that conversation, I told him, I was talking to him about Islam and I was characterizing it and I was just saying, hey, you know what? Um, Based on what I talked to you with most most Muslims, it doesn't seem like a lot of you guys have a really good understanding of your faith and it seems like a pretty simple thing. And he just stopped me and he said, wait, you're talking to other college students about their knowledge of Islam and you expect them and you're expecting that to represent well what Islam is. He's like, have you ever thought what the average Christian says about Jesus. And it just stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, wow, I'm judging your entire faith based on a couple of people, of, of average people. And I talk to Christians all the time. In fact, if I were to characterize for you the average impression that I get about God from the average Christian, it, it wouldn't be great. Like it wouldn't be great. And yet that's exactly what I'm doing um, to, to this Muslim person. And so it really just hit me that maybe there's something we can learn. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying Soheb is a, 
as a believer. I'm not saying he's a follower of Jesus, but we need to recognize there's people who are different from us that can teach us more about faith and that we may be farther from faith than we think. And so in chapter eight of Luke, verse 22, it says this, this is about Jesus. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, and I don't have this, I don't have 25 on here, but let me, let me read 25. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? And so this, I don't, I, I just, I thought of this passage as I was thinking about the Jonah story, that in the midst of this great storm, as the boat is literally being swamped by the waves, Jesus is asleep. And I wonder This has to be a fulfillment. This has to be a fulfillment of the Jonah story because Jonah is asleep in an absurd way during this great storm and so is Jesus. And yet we see here that Jesus saves by calming the storm because the message here is that Christ and the the storm are aligned. Like Christ has control over the earth and the wind and the sea because Jonah himself says, I am a Hebrew I serve the God of the land and the sea. And yet God has power over land and sea. But he asked the question to the disciples, where is your faith? And I wonder if this is giving the disciples another chance to recognize what did you learn from the story of Jonah? What did, you, what did the story of Jonah teach you? That you can have faith in the storm And that you need to repent like a sailor because the sailors in this passage, they have faith. And you know, remember what was the first thing the sailors did when the storm came is they each prayed to their own God. And you'll notice that the disciples, when the storm comes, they don't pray. (laughs) There's no expression of faith from the disciples. And so maybe what Jesus is wanting to teach the disciples and teach us is in your moment of crisis, You need to pray. You need to turn towards me. You need to have faith. You need to recognize faith because the sailors have faith. They recognize in a desperate situation what they're supposed to do. And then here's how I would bring it back to us. We are all in this boat that is life. And there are, there are all of us on this boat. And some of us like myself can go around rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic because this boat at some point is going to sink. Okay. All of us will sink. All of us will drown at some point in our lives. We all die. And everyone dies. And so the issue is, do you care enough about your life and the life of the people on the boat to pray to the God of the storm to have the wind and waves cease? Because that is the faith that the sailors have. And so that's one of the applications of this book is to have faith like those who seemingly don't have faith and recognize that the ones who are supposed to have faith faith, maybe don't. And let me give you one more application. What happens when you encounter God? Last week we had this, I had this, the sharing prompt was, how is God trying to get your attention? 
And you'll notice in the book of Jonah, as Jonah is running away, God continues to chase him. That God is pursuing Jonah to the furthest possible distance. In fact, we, Jonah's thrown over into the sea. He's swallowed by a fish. God's pursuit story of Jonah is not done yet. Okay, it's not over yet. We're, not, we're like barely halfway through, jo- through God's pursuit of Jonah. In fact, I'm, I'm, we're not even like a third of the way through how God is pursuing Jonah. So God is willing to pursue Jonah to the furthest possible distance and at every point try to draw him back to himself, even though Jonah is completely disobedient. And so this book confronts us with a God who pursues us, who's willing to laugh at us and poke fun at us and throw us in impossible situations and also win over those who are adjacent to the ones we're pursuing. Because part of God's plan here is to save the sailors and he does in spite of Jonah. And so the point isn't to be like Jonah, but to recognize God is in pursuit of you. He is pursuing you and he wants to wake you up. And I don't know the circumstances about which, about how he's going to do that. And I don't have any particular action that you can take to experience a wake up. Like all I know is that when God wakes you up, it's what God, it's what God does. It's not what we do. When Jonah's sleeping in the boat, it's not Jonah that wakes up and comes to his senses. It's the captain trying to get his senses, right? It's the sailors who are trying to get his attention. And so there's actually nothing we can do in and of ourselves to wake ourselves up. We are completely reliant upon God. That's why we pray. We pray to ask him to wake us up. And so the thing that I would think about to ponder as God is trying to wake you up, as, draws, as God is trying to get your attention, that you are going to encounter him in different situations. Okay, now Jonah encounters God through the sailors, through these pagan sailors. But when there's something in common when God encounters you, he's going to ask you a couple questions. Okay, when you encounter God and he tries to wake you up, he'll ask you a couple questions. Let me give you, let me, let me propose two questions that he's going to ask you. Number one, he's going to ask you, who are you? Who are you? He's going to ask you who you are. And when I say who you are, he's going to ask, who are you? The way that you can think about that question is what is your identity? How do you understand yourself? In your innermost thoughts, how do you perceive yourself? That's the first question he's going to ask. Who are you? And that's the question you've got to figure out how to answer. And we all know Jonah already has an answer. He's just not living according to it because he is a person of God. And as a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. Your life does not belong to yourself. You've died and you you live again because of Christ in you. The second question God is going to ask you when he encounters you is what are you doing? What are you doing? Who you are, who are you? And then what are you doing? That's the second question. What are you doing? And when he says that, it's like, what do you mean? How are the actions you're living in, out of your life, how are they consistent with who you are, right? Because that's the question that this captain's asking him. What do you mean, you sleeper? Like, who are you and what are you doing? That's the question we have to contend with. And the contradiction that God is trying to expose for us is the difference between the way we're behaving and who we are, that deep contradiction. And would you recognize that today, that contradiction has been resolved by Jesus and what he's done on our behalf. And there's nothing that we can do to fix it on our own. It's to simply recognize what he's done on our behalf and to to recognize how he answers that question.
And so um, we're going to do something a little different during communion. I know we're, we're celebrating communion a little differently. Um, after I pray, Austin's going to come up. And then I'm going to play a song. And um, it's by Keith Green. I think I'm probably, sh- I'm pretty sure most of you are not familiar with him. Some of you, so maybe. Um, he's got a song called Asleep in the Light. And it just struck me that everything about the song is reflected in the book of Jonah. And he mentions Jonah in the song. Um, but it's also a song that is, um, for lack of a better word, attacking Christians. It's attacking Christians. And it's a wake-up call to followers of Jesus and noticing the people around us. God, thank you for the riches of your mercy in Christ Jesus. That you pursue, you pursue Jonah to the very ends of the earth to show the riches of your grace and that you do the same on our behalf. And so, Lord, would we be willing to confront the contradiction in our lives and recognize that it's probably not a one-time event to question ourselves, but it is a matter of the life of God to realize how, fall, how, how, how far short we fall, but to also recognize that your life is real within us. And so, Lord, would you give us a sense both that we have not arrived and the ways in which you are waking us up and also the ways in which you have given us life through your son, that we can be awake because he experienced death and resurrection on our behalf. Thank you for your love for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.